the deal. Tell us about what's going on at work because I feel like there's some tea that's brewing. Girl. All right. So do we want to hear more about Bagel Boy or the animal that was loose in the building? <laughs> um, totally want to get back to the animal thing, but Bagel Boy. Bagel okay. Boy. <laughs> so Bagel Boy came in on, I think, like either Saturday or Sunday, which is like, you know, one of his typical days. And he comes in. And he comes in the drive-thru and I just like do his transaction. And I'm like, oh my God, like you don't have a bagel, my dude. And he's like, oh, you know, like it's noon. Like it's a little late for a bagel, you know? And I was like, I can't relate. I would eat a bagel at any time of day, any type of bagel, any time of day. And he's like, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Right. I'm like, okay, bye. (laughs) So (laughs) what happens is the problem is like he pulls up and I get really excited to talk to him. And then I realize I'm at work. What's the point? So I just like, you know what I mean? So we'll like have a cute, like the formula is like he pulls up and I'm like, hey, and we chat and I'm like, shit, I'm an employee at this establishment. Nothing can happen. And I just like send him on his way. Like that's literally the formula. So then he came in earlier this week, which is weird. He's coming by a lot. Is huh. this a coinky dink or not? Uh-oh. He came in earlier in the week this week. And yeah, he came in on Tuesday. And I was actually on lunch, but like I was in the break room, which is pretty much attached to the drive-thru. And my coworker is like, I hear like, hey man, how's it going? I hear, hey, what's up, man? And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like him. I hear my coworker turn the mic off and he's like, Lily, bagel boy. (laughs) And I just like freak out. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, I gotta go in there. What am I gonna say? And my coworker's like, literally just come say hi. And I'm like, no. I need to pretend, oh my God, I'll pretend I left my drink in there. And he's like, you, you did though. Like your water bottle's in here. And I was like, oh, okay, perfect. So I like go in and I'm like, oh, hey, how are you? And he's like, good. And I was like, oh, so you do have a bagel today? And he, he's like, oh, well, you know, like it's a little earlier. And I was like, not to be mean, but uh, no, I said not to be that guy. But like, it was like new when you came in and it's 1145 right now. <laughs> He always has to have a petty comment to say. Me too. I love it. So he was like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, you're right. And I just like handed him his receipt. I was like, all right, enjoy the bagel. Bye. And I just like went and I like finished my lunch. And I think that's when I texted you. I unlocked my phone to text you and you texted me. And that's when I was like, bagel boy came back. We have a late entry because he came back today. (gasps) And I'm with that same that same coworker who was just like one of my favorites and he pulls up and I see him and I'm like, shit. And I like, look at my coworker. I'm like, what do I do? And he was like, literally do your job. Like <laughs> smile, say hi, do the transaction and send him away. Like, that's not difficult. So I do, I like, I start like, you know, scanning everything and my coworkers like joking around about going over the mic and being like, Hey man, like Lily, you know, like she thinks Cuba, right? And I think he saw us joking around because he's just like staring at us, like trying. It looked like he was focused, like trying to read like our lips, but we have masks on so he can't. (laughs) So he was like very like trying to like figure out what's going on because our our microphones were off. And um, I remember, I think literally today, because there was someone standing right next to me watching what I said, I was like, uh... Okay, baby boy, uh, you're all set. Have a good weekend. Bye. <laughs> just like, 
But on Tuesday, when he pulled away, my coworker's like, wow, he's smiling like an idiot. And I was like, thanks. Like, I don't understand. So again, you guys, there's really no progression or anything interesting happening um, because I definitely value my steady income more than I value some guy. <laughs> I have never shipped a non-existent relationship so hard in my life. <laughs> like really, I am so into this relationship. Like I think I'm emotionally detaching from Mike every time you tell these stories. <laughs> Kidding, Mike. If you listen to this podcast, I still love you, but I'm just a little more right now. Hashtag team Mike. Let's get into the animal story. So the animal story, I'm actually kind of pissed because there were two days of action with this and I was off both days. Mm. So I go into work on Tuesday. I worked Sunday and I was off Monday. So I come in on Tuesday and we're all walking in and my coworker says to another coworker, he's like, Hey, did you see him? And she's like, no, like I, I, I looked, I didn't see him. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. See who like it's 8am and we're walking into like work. Who the fuck did you not see? Who's supposed to be here before us? And they're like, Oh, you didn't hear you weren't here yesterday. Um, there's a raccoon loose in the ceiling. <laughs> I'm like, what? And they said that like the assistant branch manager was on her lunch break and she heard like a sound in like one of our, you know, like stock rooms. Mm-hmm. So she goes in and sees a hole in one of the ceiling tiles and just sees like a pair of eyes staring back at her. Horrifying. But she's like a, she's like really cool. So she's a boss. Like she's not scared of anything. So she was like, "Hey guys, like come check this out. Like <laughs> there's a raccoon in the ceiling." Yes. And so they, yeah, right. Like you know, just banker things. So and then apparently at one point it made its way from the stockroom ceiling into the coat closet, <laughs> which is just terrifying because now this thing's on the fucking move. And I see on the door to the stockroom after they after they like debrief me on what's going on. I see on the door to the stock room a sticky note that just says, do not answer possible animal. And a smaller sticky note that says, home of Randy or Regina the raccoon. <laughs> so we've named this thing. Obviously, it's here to stay. My coworker. So I have a couple coworkers who English is their second language. And like, for the most part, you know, like you wouldn't know, like one of them, a couple of them have like slight accents. And... I guess she had never read the name Regina. So she rolls her R's. So she comes into the drive-thru where I'm setting up and she goes, we have named the raccoon Regina. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's not how you pronounce it. But sure, Regina the raccoon. So (laughs) they give me, I I just wish I was there so I could really tell you like the good shit. But at one point, like my coworker, another one of my coworkers goes in like armed with a broom. I don't know what the hell he was planning on doing with the broom. Gave him like part of a banana, I think. Um, So we're on the lookout all day Tuesday for this fucking raccoon. We don't see anything. We don't hear anything, but animal control arrives. And we like had to let him in through the back because no one wants to go to their financial institution and see a big pest control guy with a fucking cage. Like no one wants that. 
So he's like, I'll be back tomorrow again. I was off yesterday, which we're recording this on Thursday. So I was in on Tuesday, the day after they found it and the day before they checked the trap. So I come into work today. I'm like, all right, what's the latest with the fucking raccoon? And they said that it was a girl and she was pregnant. (gasps) They're looking for a warm place to have her babies. So the people got, like the guy came, he got her in the trap and he released her into like a nice wooded area kind of by where I work. And she's living happily ever after now. So Lily, do you want to talk about what this week's episode is on? One of our favorite types of episodes to do, and this is an encounters episode where we, Rebecca and Lily, read you, our boothangs, encounters stories that you sent to us to justcoolythingspodcast.gmail.com. So if you're just listening to this now and you're a new listener, we are going to be doing more episodes like this. So don't worry. This is, wasn't your last opportunity to send in your stories. We are constantly looking over stories that you send us either through DM or through email. We prefer email though, because then it's all in one place. So you can DM us them, but DM us and then copy and paste it and then email it to us at just coolly things podcast at gmail.com. That would be very much appreciated. So, um, we did talk about this author last week on the show. Um, one of our boo things, one of our OG boo things, Evan Kern. Hey, Evan. He is one of our newest Patreon donors. You can be a Patreon donor too, just by going to our Patreon at Just Coolie Things Podcast, where we are working on exclusive content for those subscribed to our channel on there. But he sent us in two stories today. So this is going to kind of be like an Evan Kern dedication episode, really, because we're going to save one for the beginning and one for the end. Yes. And they're really good ones. Story number one, the final goodbye. In the spring of 2013, I lost someone I loved very much. Sparing the harrowing personal details of her death, all of which can be heard on my brother's podcast interview with me, link available upon request. So we will also get that link and post it in if it's okay with Evan, in our private Facebook group. What's it called, Rebecca? Just Glowy Things Podcast group. Which I fucking love that like we're like you plug now. I, I'm here for it. I'm here for I, it. I really like it. Okay, anyways. She was not happy with her home life and saw no other way out than by committing suicide. Needless to say, I was heartbroken. Left wanting answers and with a lot left unsaid myself. Let's call her, I don't know if I'm reading this right, Amara. That's how I was reading it. That's a good one. Is it Amara or Amara? I think Amara. Okay. I went through the rest of college school year and summer in a fog. As the fall semester started, I met the woman who would eventually become my fiance. And she helped tremendously in filling the void in my heart left by the events of that prior spring, as well as putting me on the right path towards becoming the man I am today. (laughs) I love this. I cannot express in words how grateful I am for that, for her. However, the story is not about me, nor is it about her. This story is about a raven-haired nobody, a girl that happened to cross my path at just the right time, when I needed her ghostly guidance the most, the girl who would go on to inspire the protagonist of The Shade, Sybil Aldgate. For that reason, and for anonymity's sake, let's just call her Sybil. I met Sybil of all places, in of all places, a study class on biblical subtext. 
one of those bullshit gen ed courses we all have to take to fill credits. That actually sounds really interesting, though. I was going to say, I never took an interesting gen ed class like that. So carry on. I mean, I was a theater major, so... Um, we started talking. She was very pleasant to be around. A refreshing and welcome part of my week every other course day. Over the course of a few just a few short weeks and many meetups before or after classes, and don't ask me how because for the life of me, I can't recall that specific detail. We got to talking about my ex, dredging up those old memories. I told Sybil everything I could, everything I deemed as appropriate for a budding friendship to have out in the open. Her questioning at first was innocent enough, probing, but not crossing any lines. Then she asked if I would like her to fetch Amara for me. What? I said, fetch? I had never heard the term before in my life. Then she described it to me. Spilled the proverbial beans, as it were. (laughs) Sybil was, not to put too fine a point on it, a spirit walker, one who could traverse the void between this world and the next to find souls of the lost, make contact with them, and help those left behind, friends and family, find that closure they so earnestly desired. Sound too good to be true? Too convenient for having just lost someone myself? You would think that. Just wait. It gets even weirder. Hold on to your butts. (laughs) A new phrase, by the way. I'm going to start using that. I love that. After the initial skepticism wore off, I decided to humor her. After all, what did I have to lose? I agreed to let Sybil help me, and I still get chills thinking about it to this day. First, she asked me all about Amara, what she was like in life, what I loved most about her, the conditions of her death. Later, I found out this was to tease out those deep-seated emotions, strengthen the connection to Amara in a place Sybil referred to as the after. She also required a thing called a fetch item, something that, in life, held deep spiritual importance to the deceased. This could be anything from a family heirloom to a stuffed animal. She even attested to using a photograph of someone one time as the fetch. I had nothing left of Amara's. By then, I had even burned the suicide note. Feeling it more of a burden to carry around than any kind of last loving goodbye. I had no pictures, had deleted all of our texts in a fit of misplaced rage, and had effectively erased all the traces of her from my life. But goddamn, if I can't still see her face clear as day when I close my eyes. Sybil used this. Getting comfortable, she entered the after. As far as I know, she didn't use any hallucinogenics or mind-altering substances to achieve this. It was a natural gift she possessed, like being able to rub someone's like being able to rub one's stomach and pat one's head simultaneously. This is expanded upon in the book where the protagonist uses an ergo fungus infusion to travel to that place. I don't know what that is, but that sounds insane. Anyway, upon her arrival, Sybil described the veritable paradise, vast featureless plains of reed grass that could take on any memory projected upon them by those seeking closure through her and in which the spirits of the deceased or shades resided. All of this is expounded upon in the book, Where Burning, Triplets, Where Burning, Triplet Sons, 
warmed the ground and all who wandered there, and a solitary sycamore tree stood as both sentry and landmarker, making real to the reader the vision I had when she related the peacefulness of that alien place to me. I told her about Amara's grandmother's house by the beach, her favorite place to visit, and where her ashes had been spread following her death. There, Sybil found Amara, even described her cheeky smile just as I remembered it. I asked the more I asked the burning questions. Why did you do it? Is there anything more I could have done to help? Do you miss me? The answers Amara gave through Sybil seemed genuine enough, but I needed more, needed that proof. I had left one tiny detail out in our many conversations on the topic, thinking back. I must it must have been on purpose, my big burn brain planning four moves ahead. I told Sybil to ask Amara what was the last what the last thing I said to her was, something which I had never told any other living soul and something I've still kept a closely guarded secret to this day. She reiterated verbatim the last thing I had said to Amara. I was floored. From that moment on, there has been no doubt in my mind. The after is real and my sweet Amara is at peace. I've never questioned this truth. Now, flash forward to just a couple summers ago, and all that self-doubt and depression comes screaming back. I had been having feelings around our new house, like something was lingering there, not ready to leave, a spiritual something. Please note, this bleeds into the next story I have for you gals. Since Amara's passing, I had felt her presence, nights spent lonely, thinking about her, put to rest with a chilling embrace, yet wholly identifiable as her own. A pair of unseen eyes felt watching me while I work, yet turning and finding no one there. An invisible, warm hand and set of dainty fingers slipping around mine while I was walking alone or in bed at night. I knew she was near. I knew she was trying to reach out, trying to tell me something. Until one day, when I really let the waterworks flow. I had no idea what that was. I knew then and there, seeing as I had moved in with my future fiance and were actively planning our future together, I needed to put this ghost to rest. I went to visit a therapist, realizing this was not a burden I or my fiance or anyone could shoulder alone and be successful. I needed an objective point of view of things. Over the course of three sessions, taking place over just a month's time, I had come to the conclusion that I needed to bury Amara, mm. needed to partake in the activity I had been denied by the inconveniences of distance and time. Gathering an old balsam wood tea box from my mother, a handful of knickknacks that reminded me of Amara, and some other personal items I had meant to give her, one day I set out on my mission. So I'm going to cry. I penned a seven-page letter recounting all my feelings for her, my hopes for the shared future we were deprived of, and my sincerest wishes for the time in between our abrupt goodbye and meeting again to be peaceful and easy for the both of us. Arriving at the Lake Ontario Beach Pier one day, a place I had always meant to show her, I was dressed in my neatest black morning attire. I decided to use the long walk from the beach to mentally prepare myself for what I needed to do and how exactly I would be carrying it out. As I neared the end, a balding middle-aged man in nondescript running clothes 
himself resting at the end of the pier before the return jog back down to the mainland, was suspicious of my lonesomeness and unseasonal attire, approached me. He asked who I was, what I was doing at the pier, conveying genuine concern for what he assumed, I assumed, based on his body language, to be an attempt, if you catch my drift. I told him straight up, I was there in mourning, meaning to put to rest someone from my life that had passed on. Satisfied with my candid honesty, he remained by the pier beacon, standing by in case support, emotional support was needed, but allowing me my personal space. That is so sweet. That is amazing. Oh my God. I sat, spread the trinkets in their coffin out ahead of me, indicating their significance to the moment before reciting my pre-written letter to the open air. When I was finished, I folded it, fitted inside the tea box with the rest of the items, capped and bound the box and set it adrift in the water. Still by myself, I watched its distinct shape as the water carried it out with the current. When it finally disappeared behind a white cap, I turned, feeling relief, and proceeded back down the pier. The kindly man, who had stayed for the entirety of the affair, I assumed, had left as I set the box in the water. I never saw him leave, nor did I see his distinctive red shirt as I left back down the length of the pier. I'm feeling better these days. Even though Sybil and I don't talk anymore, I'm comforted in the thought that she entered my life just as I needed her and left when her purpose was fulfilled. For this, she has dedicated the first book in my hopeful series, inspired by the true events that led me to write it. I thank her, wherever she may be now, every day, from the bottom of my heart, for how she has helped me where no other soul conceivably could. Thoughts and feelings for my dearly departed Amara still ebb and flow, but I've come to accept it as a thing that isn't going away. She still occupies an unfillable place in my heart, and that's not going to change. I have had many talks with my fiance, whom has also lost highly regarded people in her own life, on the subject, and she is supportive. I believe trauma can be a spur when we let things fester, become something more than they are, it can be damaging, but it can also be used for good, if not for ourselves, then for the good of others. Creating art, being available for others, also going through hardships, or just taking personal time with nature. All these pursuits are valid and meaningful. To anyone struggling with loss or heartache, my message to you is simple. You are not your pain. Your life is far from empty or over. Sometimes the end is just a new beginning. Lily, are you crying in the club right now? I am crying so hard in this fucking club. <laughs> that is such a beautiful story. I'm like speechless. <laughs> oh my, you're actually crying. I'm like, you can like publish this. I don't even care. <laughs> Let the world know that I actually have emotions. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This is going to be exclusive content. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we literally cry exclusively on our Patreon. Oh my gosh. That, no, honestly, that's insane. That is an insane story. And I think that that is such a beautiful message. And I think that's such a beautiful idea to create a, a quote unquote coffin for those that maybe weren't able to see um, a final time to kind of not move on past it, but kind of like um, accept it. 
Yeah, like a, like a send-off in your own way, a nice closure for you. And I think, um, I mean, I know the stories about this episode is about our listeners and not about us, but, you know, I remember talking to someone a few months ago um, and she was like, you know, Lil, grief, I learned, isn't even kind of a stage or a phase. It's more of a cycle. So like, you know, you're going to build up it's hard at first, you know, and you go through, I mean, I saw it, you know, with myself and I'm sure you've seen it with other, you know, people and everything. And you've experienced it, the like six stages of grief. And it's like, so true. Like I thought it was just fake. It's real. But like, you do try to rationalize and you try to think and you like, you know, think, oh, well, you know, I would have done this differently. And then you get angry, but you know what I mean? It's so true. And then you're okay. And then you heal. But, you know, it does come back. And I think, you know, the way my friend put it of, you know, it's it's not really a phase or, you know, a one-time thing. It's more of a cycle is just so true. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my God. We're already crying in the fucking club. And it's not even, we're not even on the second story. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I hate feeling. I hate feeling. (laughs) All right, Rebecca, what's your next story? First story. Okay, so this is a listener story that was sent into us around Halloween of last year. And uh, this was actually sent when we were doing our Halloween live stream. If you guys um, didn't see our live stream, you missed out. Yes, I remember. I remember. So hopefully maybe we can do like another live stream at some point in the near future. If you guys want to see that, uh, let us know. Yes, email us at justbelievethingspodcast.gmail.com or... Um, DM us on Instagram at Just Bully Things Podcast or post in our Facebook group, Just Bully Things Podcast group. Yeah, cover all of Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, this starts, hey gals, my name's Alexis. Love your podcast and hope to have my story told. I'm excited to watch your live stream. So my story is about three years ago. I had just had my daughter and was living with my parents at the time. I unfortunately went through a terrible PPD and felt disconnected from everything. By the way, PPD is postpartum depression. Um, My only light and motivation was to take care of my daughter. For a few weeks, stuff got dark and ugly with her dad and I, constantly arguing and fighting about everything. It was never like that between us, but I've had experiences with paranormal before and was already thinking us arguing was only going to give whatever dark presence more energy. So one weekend, he was away for work, daughter asleep, in the center of her crib, and I start dozing off around 2.30 a.m. All of a sudden, I heard a slamming sound. Imagine slamming school books onto a hard service, and I jump up right away to check on my baby, of course. She's now in the corner of her crib. She was three or four months at this time, so she couldn't have got there herself, and I was visibly shaking from fear. So I picked her up and held her for a while while just rocking back and forth to ease myself. All of a sudden, I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder and could see a dark figure begin to hover over us. Quickly- Oh, no, 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 no. Quickly, I laid my daughter down and covered her, began praying and telling whatever was there that it needed to go. This went on for about five minutes, but felt so much longer. I didn't sleep at all that night. Once I moved, I made sure I didn't have any dark feelings and don't entertain any paranormal in my home. So when I listen to paranormal stuff, it's always when I'm driving or at someone else's home. But I prefer but prefer driving because then I just roll down the window and say, bye, ghosts. Ah! I love that. But that's my story. Still gives me goosebumps thinking about it to this day. The end. 
I remember that with the window. <laughs> Bye, ghosts. I love Bye, that. ghosts. I'm going to start doing that with, like, bad vibes. You know, right. like, if you ever, like, get out of work and you're stressed, just, like, put the window down and be like, bye, bad vibes. Fuck you. Okay. So when I used to dance, uh, when I was, like, in middle school, my the owner of the dance studio, who's sometimes my instructor, she, in her new studio, would put these, they kind of look like dream catchers. And mm-hmm. what you would do, it was Native American based. I don't remember offhand what they're actually called, but they have like these little beads on this and then like a little basket and you hang them by the door. And mm-hmm. what you do is if you have any anxieties or any worries, you take one of the strings, you put all your like thoughts or any, any concerns or anything that you're feeling you like manifest it into the string and then you put it in the basket. And pretty much what that's supposed to be is you leave it, you leave that bad energy at the front door. You go in, you do your dancing, you focus on your dance, you focus on that. And then you take it back out and you deal with it when you're done dancing. But it's like in that hour, hour and a half that you're dancing, this is like what you're focused on. This is supposed to kind of clear your mind from any anxieties, any concerns. And to kind of just give you that peace of mind of like, all right, there is like a safe space for you to, you know, just let whatever go and then you can always come back to it. And I always thought that was so amazing. And I remember one specific time using it and it helped so much. Really? I love that. So my next story, I got to go down. Okay. is from Jay. This is JJ, right? Yes. Our JJ. Jay Chanel. Okay. So it says, Hi, ladies. It's been a while and paranormal activity in my office has died down for quite some time. That is until today. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> she literally put that in there too, right? Yes, she did. And I love that. That's so crazy though, because I was thinking for some reason on my drive home from work today, I was literally thinking about my bitch of a fifth grade teacher who um, said I lacked empathy. And how one time we were writing something, just some bullshit free writing. And I wrote, dun, dun, dun. And she wrote in like her red teacher pen in all caps, no, with like six exclamation points and like an underlined never when you're writing exclamation point. Oh my gosh, this bitch. She was such a bitch. Such a bitch. Anyways, um... If you're listening to this, you did nothing for my education. I work in a home health slash hospice agency, mainly for hospice. And my office is downstairs. But since we don't have a lot of patients, I'm upstairs in my home health office helping out my other coworkers. So I'm mostly upstairs. Today, March 4th, 2021, I'm upstairs working. It's already after hours and there's only six of us in the office left. There's one lady, the owner of the company, who sits right by the entrance door and about 20 feet from her desk. There's two more desks where two of my coworkers sit at, and they sit next to each other. Behind them is a hallway to get to the other rooms, and there's a printer slash scanner in that hallway. To make the story easier, let's call the lady who sits on the left side, Annie, and the one who sits on the right side, Mary. Names are changed for privacy. As I was walking to scan a document on that printer slash scanner, I hear a phone ringing, which is normal since Annie is still making calls and staffing patients, so I thought maybe it was her calling someone. I think nothing of it and go about my business. As I'm scanning my document, I hear Annie say, huh? And so I turned around to her, and while turning, I hear in the background the voicemail start saying, 
The person you called is unavailable. Please leave a message. Then silence. When I turned, I saw Annie looking at Mary's desk, her phone to be exact. And when I looked at Mary's phone, it was calling someone. We both looked at each other confused as to how? Because Mary had left an hour ago and there's no one else that had been sitting at her desk and no one was near her desk to dial anything. Also, may I add, nothing fell on the phone for it to be to for it to accidentally dial any number either. Hmm. I told Annie to end the call and when she did, I checked the history. It says outbound call extension called 221 at 6:30 p.m. Extension 221 is my extension number in my hospice office downstairs. Like I said earlier, I have not been downstairs for quite some time because I've been helping upstairs. Mary has not dialed my extension downstairs either because I haven't been down there to take any calls and my extension number for upstairs is 223. So who called my hospice line extension? Why? And most importantly, how? We may never know. Tomorrow, Mary said she will talk, she will check her call log to see if that call is still in the history. I'll let you guys know. That's all for now. Talk to you ladies again. Take care and with love and support always, Jay. Oof. Jay has, if you guys uh, are newer to the podcast, Jay has sent us several stories of her paranormal experiences at her job. So this is just adding to the list. Yeah. And she's like another, like one of our like OG booth eggs. So, and wait, I am reading the Evan Kearns story number two. Evan, if you fucking make me cry in the club right now, I'm going to end you. Not really, but (laughs) imagine. And he titles it infestation, oppression, thankfully minus the possession. Okay, I like the rhyme scheme. I'm still terrified I'm going to cry. He's traumatized me. That's it. Drop in, Lily. So, in the fall of 2017, my future fiancé and I moved in together. A momentous occasion as the try-before-you-buy mindset was one before we both heavily believed in. Very true. Mm. Very true. Some background on the property and its significance of the story. Back in the day, the 70s, I believe, my uncle on my mother's side had purchased the land from its aging caretaker. A double lot in the city, it has sold now for quite a pretty penny. Comprised of a main three-story house complete with a basement, there is also an attached but separate side unit in which we lived up until this August when the sale on the property was pending. Before us, it had been rented to mostly friends of the family, my mother and father even, at one point before I was even a thing, lived in what we'll call the apartment. It had been believed that back when the house was built in the 1800s, the main abode had been for the landowners and the servants or workers lived in the smaller apartment, then connected to the main house via the sin-sealed doorway between the living room areas. This is important for later in the story. During one particularly rainy season in our town, back when my parents were living there, a part of the ground in the yard became saturated and began to droop. Fearing a sinkhole or other collapse that could jeopardize the house, my uncle called in city purveyors. Taking detailed and very careful scans of the area, they determined it to be a hollow room. Not a pit or a cave, but a man-made space. Oh, fuck no. Further work showed it connected to the main house via the basement, and it had been walled off. It was suggested by the town's historical society that the house 
fixated within a two minute or so drive from Lake Ontario, served as a point on one's final leg along the Underground Railroad, ferrying runaway slaves safely to Canada where they oh, could freedom wow. from their oppressors. That's insane. Amazing. Amazing. So some historical context, Rochester was just one city that played an important role in the railroad's clandestine successes back in the day. And much of the history here is based in that aspect. Frederick Douglass and the establishment of his revolutionary newspaper, the North Star, Susan B. Anthony, and her equal devotion to women's and black rights, as well as structure after local structure being revealed through examination and excavation as important landmarks on the way to freedom across the lake. Definitely worth the trip for the historically and ethically minded. A neat family hand-me-down of sorts. My fiance and I made the place home, made it our own, made it comfy, somewhere to come back to after the long work day. For a time, it was good. We enjoyed time spent together in a place that was our own. During this time, however, something far darker began to take hold. We never asked any of the former tenants besides my mother, whom was always eager to share a paranormal experience of hers, if they had any issues while living in the apartment. Nothing was ever said either when we went to look at the place. My belief is that everyone is sensitive yet to different strengths and intensities still stands. With the knowledge of the property we had, however, what ensued made a lot more sense. I myself never really had any issues with ghosts of the place. Only on one occasion when I was napping before work was I rudely awakened by an echoing overtly masculine shriek telling me simply to go. Otherwise, I only saw peepers, shadows that moved just in my periphery and disappearing when I looked in their direction. I felt presences, heard things, especially when we were in the process of moving out. But I feel like this was just the spirits reasserting themselves in the increasingly empty rooms of the place. They never bothered me. I even invited them to sit and stay with me while I wrote or... <laughs> I love that. I can picture Evan doing that. Oh my God. Yes. Sadly, sadly, I was taken up on very few instances in this regard. My fiance, however, had a number of encounters, mainly in our bedroom at night. On one occasion, she was awoken in the wee hours of the morning to see our room as it was, but with a large dresser in place of my average sized one and in the front of one of the windows. A humanoid shape loomed there, easily mistakable for just another shadow in the room. But she said she felt it glaring at her despite the lack of eyes and she was unable to move. Unlike my peeper friends, it didn't disappear when she saw it. It lingered there until she woke up in a fit. This time I wasn't disturbed. I was only told about it the morning after. The second time was far more haunting for the both of us, but for different reasons. Again, she awoke in the night could hardly move, but attributed it to sleep, sleepiness. The room, however, was not our own, the same space, but how my mom had described hers being when she lived in the apartment. Fidgeting, my fiance recalled kicking something off the bed, like a TV remote or something like that, not uncommon as she would often fall asleep with the TV still on. When she did this, she heard a distinct guttural growling from the foot of the bed. Then, oh no, unable to move further in her ear. She tried to call out, but we all know how that goes in instances of sleep paralysis. She felt another presence on the bed besides her own, and the sheer terror of it woke her and me. She reached over to me, asked if I could hold her, and I did, and we fell back asleep like that. No other instances the rest of the night. 
Even though we moved out since, we and those familiar with the various hauntings in the apartment have long suspected the dominating presence to be a hard-driving master or overseer, not a slave driver, but someone with a stick up his ass about something. When we were in the process of moving, she was staying at her folks' place not too far away because our place didn't feel like home anymore. I opted to stay at the apartment. It was still ours, and we were paying for the gas, electric, etc. through the end of the month. One night when I was trying to sleep, I kept hearing a series of heavy footfalls in the living room and tilted kitchen area, tiled kitchen area. My fiance later attributed it to the house settling as most of our bigger furniture was moved out or otherwise relocated. I never saw anything again, but over the course of three or so hours, I literally lost count. I was so sleep deprived. I heard the same pacing pattern back and forth, heavy boots like what would be worn on a farm back in the olden times. It stopped before dawn, but I was thoroughly messed and slept a lot of the following day, just not there. (laughs) We, meaning I, performed several smudging rituals since the encounters began. It helped to temper the presences, but did not totally rid us of them. Not tied to the physical house, I think, but perhaps the ground upon which it stands or the hidden area under the yard where people were sheltered away on their way to freedom. Either way, I did not see the presences as evil, just territorial. It was their land first and we were intruding. But fuck that guy that scared the bejesus out of my fiance. He was just sexist. Thanks for coming. (laughs) The end. I love it. I love the ending. Yes. That is the perfect way to end this episode. And I definitely think that this energy was stirred up when they found that hidden room. For sure. I think so. That's exactly, you know, I was, I was kind of getting that vibe too. Honestly, this is a really good, I feel like this was a really good rounded out episode because we had a little bit of like, you know, the heart wrenching encounters and then just like the, what the fuck encounter, you know what I mean? And the, you know, kind of, and then the interesting, what could it be? Like we had a little bit of everything this episode. And I, I, I love that for us. We had a roller coaster of emotions on this episode. So, so you can follow us on Instagram at just coolie things podcast, our personal Instagrams at Rebecca Ruber and at Lily Baldessari <laughs> Twitter, JGT podcast, Facebook like page, just Ghoulie Things Podcast. Facebook private group. Just Ghoulie Things Podcast group. Donate to that Patreon. Just Ghoulie Things Podcast. Buy our merch at tpublic.com. You search Just Ghoulie Things Podcast. And rebeccaruber.com slash shop. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share on our show, feel free to email us at justghoulithingspodcast@gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, Boo Thangs, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goodbye.